Well, good morning, church. Man, we are glad you are here this morning today. We're going to continue in our series called The Beginnings. And so if you remember from last week, we said, you know, we're kind of going to go back to the beginning. We're going to go back all the way to Genesis, and we're going to spend the next several weeks all the way up to Easter going through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. But let me remind you of why we're doing this. I don't know about you, but I know for Doug, sometimes I get busy with life. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes maybe it's good things, bad things, tragic things, uh, glorious things. A lot of things happen. And sometimes there's some things that are essential to my faith that, quite frankly, I forget about. There's some things that should shape my faith and shape how I live my life, and I forget about those things. So our goal is to go all the way back to the beginning and to be reminded of some foundational truths, truths that are relevant to us as followers of Christ, truths about who God is, what God does, the truth about humanity and our condition, the truth about God's plan of redemption for our lives and salvation for our lives. And so the next several weeks, we're going to go back to the beginning and discover those foundational truths that hopefully will not only grow our faith, but shape our walk with Christ. And so last week we began in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Do you remember that, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, right? We remember that whole thing. And what we discovered last week that's essential to our faith is this, is that we serve a God who is eternal. If you believe that, shout amen this morning. He is eternal. That while creation exists and has a beginning point, our God does not. He has always existed, which reminds us that he is separate from creation. He's bigger than creation. Therefore, he can be trusted. He's eternal. Then we looked at how God is not only eternal, but how God alone creates. You remember the Hebrew word bara, and it means that God created something out of what? Nothing. They know some of you are going, that's impossible to imagine. That's why you're not God, right? Because God took nothingness and made something out of nothing. And God created the world. He created the heavens and he created the earth. But here's what was most important for me last Sunday. While we serve an eternal God, while we serve a God who's powerful, so powerful that he could speak something out of nothing, it's also the same God at the very end of verse 2 said, and yet his spirit hovers over his creation. Can I just remind you of something? While we serve an eternal God, while we serve a God who alone creates, we also serve a God who's interested and invested in you and interested and invested in me. He's deeply involved in his creation. And the fact that the spirit of God hovered over the area, that's a picture of how God desires to be in relationship with you and with me. It's a picture of how God deeply and desperately loves every single one of us. And so we talked about last week, who God is. Now today I want to look at what God does. So if you have your Bibles, back to Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Now we are going to be in a lengthy passage of scripture, so I'm going to let you stay seated this morning. Normally we stand in honor of reading God's word, but you can stay seated this morning. And as we look at Genesis, we're going to begin in verse 3, and we're going to eventually end up in chapter 2, verse 3. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about what God does. And really, there's four things that we're going to see this morning that got what God does. Here's the first thing. Go ahead and write it down. God speaks. And the heart of creation story is the fact that God speaks. In fact, in chapter 1, 10 different times, it says, and God said, let there be. And God said, and God said, and God said, 10 different times. Now, here's why it is so important about that, that when God speaks in chapter 1, after verse 1 and 2, God's speaking is intentional. 
God speaks to form and shape creation, but he also speaks to fill his creation. Do you remember last week we said that the earth was what? Formless and void. Does anybody remember the Hebrew for that? Cameron Clark, what is it? That's right. Tohu wabohu. Good job, Cameron. I'm so proud of you. All right. So that basically it means without shape and there's nothing that fills it. Now, what we're going to see today in the rest of chapter one is God shapes his creation and he fills his creation. But listen to me. He does it with his words. God speaks and shapes his creation. God speaks and he fills his creation. So the first thing we're going to see is that God speaks and he forms his creation by dealing with the darkness. Look at me in verse three through five. It says, and God said, let there be what? Light. And there was light. Now, listen, I don't know. I said this before, but as a parent, don't you wish that happened in your home? Right? And let your room be clean. And they clean their room. And let the trash be taken out, and the trash is taken out. I don't know about you, but I have to say things multiple times, and then eventually Sonia or I end up wanting, probably Sonia, end up doing it, right? And so here, I want you to notice the power of God, the authority that which he speaks. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light and said, it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning on the first day. The first thing we see here is that God speaks, and he forms his creation by by dealing with the darkness. The first thing that God does is he spoke light into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was what? Light. And what I love about it is it says, and he said it was good. Now, that word good there doesn't just mean, I'm, I'm proud of myself. I, that was, I did a really good job on it. No, no. The word good there means that God was pleased with it or that it actually fulfilled the purpose God had intended for it. So he created light. Now, what does light do? Light diminishes the darkness, Right? For example, if we turned all the lights off, and we won't do that because I hate the dark because I'm a child of light. So anyway, we turned all the lights off in this room, and it was so dark that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. If somebody, like where Steve Tucker said, if he turned his cell phone on, turned the light on, it would illuminate this whole room, right? Why? Because light always diminishes the darkness. And God took the light and said, this light is going to be called day. But I'm going to allow there to be a remnant of darkness left, and this darkness is going to be called what? Night. Now, when you look at this, that God created light and it diminishes the darkness, here's the truth I think we've got to grab from this. Light always, always, always conquers the darkness. Always. If Steve turned his light on, pitch black dark in the room, that light is going to permeate everywhere in this room. We're going to see, maybe not as well as we want to, but we're going to be able to see because that light permeates and penetrates the darkness. Now, I want you to hear me on this. Some of you were honest this morning and said, you know what? There's some darkness in your own heart and your own soul. And I'm telling you, the light of Christ can penetrate and permeate the greatest darkness. Because light always trumps darkness. And so God begins by creating. He spoke and he, and he forms his creation by dealing with the darkness. The second thing he does is he speaks and he forms his creation by dealing with disorder. Look at me in verse 6 through 10. It says this. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it be separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters were under the expanse and the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning on the second day. So God speaks and he forms his creation by dealing with disorder. Oftentimes water in the Bible is a picture of chaos. 
And in this moment, God is speaking order into chaos. And what does he do? He takes the waters of the earth and he separates them. He separates them from the waters that's above the expanse and the waters that are below the expanse. The waters above are what we call the heavens or the atmosphere. The waters below are the waters that we have on this earth. So God speaks order into chaos by creating an expanse and moving the waters and separating the waters on the second day. So he speaks to the disorder of this creation. He gave a boundary for the water to exist, the waters above and the waters below. But look what happens on day three in verse 9 and 10. Let's go back to that. And God said that the waters in the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land what? earth and the waters were gathered together he called the seas and God saw that it was good so at the beginning of day three God brings a greater order to his creation by creating land to separate the waters of this earth now think about this God has just spoken light into existence and light always trumps the darkness and then he speaks and he shapes his creation by dealing with the darkness that's in the world but now dealing with the disorder And he deals with this disorder, this chaos, by separating the waters, waters above and waters below. He speaks order into chaos, and then he gives a greater level of order by this land, this water that's on the earth. He divides it with land. He creates land. And so he shapes his creation. But he also shapes his creation the rest of day three. Look with me, and that he does this, that he actually gets to that place where he spoke land into existence. He spoke the sky into existence, and now he speaks land into existence. And then he does something fascinating. He forms his creation. He shapes his creation with his words by now dealing with the deadness of his creation. Look with me in verse 11. It says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit, and trees bearing fruit in which there's seed, each according to its own kind on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to its own kind, and the trees bearing fruit in which there's seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning on the third day. Now listen, I just want you to get this picture here. At the very end of day three, God has spoken and created land, and now he forms and shapes his creation and deals with the deadness of it. Because listen, you've got light, you've got Water's above, water's below, you've got land, but you have no way to sustain life. So what does God do? He creates vegetation, right? Now here's what I want you to, there's a lot there, and we're not going to have a time to go through it, but let me just say this. The first three days of creation, God uses his words to shape his creation, to form his creation by dealing with the darkness, by dealing with the disorder, and by dealing with the deadness. And then God moves on from shaping his creation, and then he begins to fill his creation. Look with me if you would. I know it's a little bit lengthy, but look with me in verse 14 through 25. It says this, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let these be a sign for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens and to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them over the expanse of the heavens to give light unto the earth, to rule over the days and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good 
And there was evening and there was morning on the fourth day. Verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And let the birds fly above across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures. And every living moving, the things that moves, which the waters swarm according to their kind. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was what? He saw that it was what? Good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and morning on the fifth day. Let's go to day six, verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, living stock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Now listen, as you look at this, what I want you to know, there's a lot there, but here's what I want you to know. The first three days, God spends time forming and shaping his creation, forming the light, forming uh, the sky, forming the land. He spends the first three days shaping and forming his creation, and he spends the last three days filling it up. In fact, if you were to study this, you would find out there's beautiful, beautiful poetry between the first three days and the last three days. Why is there beautiful poetry? Because there's symmetry between them. For example, in day one, we saw light created. In day four, God takes the light, and what does he do with it? He separates it, and he creates the sun, and he creates the moon, that the sun is going to be the light for the day, and the moon's going to be light for the night, and those lights are going to determine days and years to come. So he takes in day one the lights, and in day four he separates them. He fills it. In day two, God takes it, and he, and he, he speaks it to the sky into existence. What does he do in day five? He fills all the sea with creatures. This water that he's given, this water's below, he's put sea creatures in it. And the, 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 the waters above, the, the atmosphere, what does he do? He creates birds to fly through it. So in day two, he forms it. In day five, he fills it. And then in day three, what does he do? He creates land. And what does he do at the very first part of day six? He fills it with every living creature and creepy things. That'll be a question I have for God when I get to heaven. Why snakes? I mean, that's really the question I want to know. Okay, why snakes? But anyway, God fills, the, he fills his creation. Now, Doug, what is your point? Because that's a lot of data to go through. Here's my point. God spoke all of that into existence. That's my only point. God spoke and shaped his creation. God spoke and filled his creation, not with his hands, but with his what? Words. Come on, church. Does that not speak to the authority and the power of Almighty God? That he can speak it into existence? So God first, he speaks. Second of all, and this is where we're going to slow down a little bit. God created. Look at me in verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over the creepy things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God had created him. Male and female, he created him. Listen, not only does God speak in this creation, second of all, God created. Now, what did God create? Humanity. Right? Are you with me on that, church? He created humanity. Now, listen to this. Here's what scripture says how God created humanity. He created humanity. He says, let us. In fact, it says here that so God created man. Listen, that word God there is also the word we talked about last week. It's the word Elohim. And the word Elohim, the name for God, is plural. So it's applying to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. So God, the Trinity, is having a conversation. Let us 
create man in our image and in our likeness. Now, what does that mean? There's been a lot of debate over what does it mean to be created in the image of God and the likeness of God. But simply put, just simply looking at Scripture, here's what we know. To be created in the image of God and the likeness of God means this. Is that we are created like God and we are created to represent God. At the very core of what it means to be in the image of God, the Latin phrase is the imago dei, for us to be in the image and the likeness of God at the very core just simply means that I've been created to be like God, but I've also been created to be a representative for God. So all we know from this passage is very simple, that you and I are image bearers, that we bear the image of our creator. That's it. A lot of people have tried to make it say a lot of things, but simply based on this passage only, we are told that we are called and we were made like God and to represent God and that you and I are image bearers. It's not until you read the rest of scripture that you begin to figure out what does it mean that you and I are like God, right? Let me give you a couple ways that we're like God, and there are many more, but let me give you a couple ways we're like God. First of all, we are moral beings, right? Is God a moral being? Come on, church, is God a moral being? Yes. We are emotional beings. Is God an emotional being? I regretted the day that I made men. Yes, God's an emotional being. I'm a jealous God. God is an emotional being. Is God a spiritual being? Yes. And so are you and I. Now, I want to say something to you. Only humanity is created in the image of God. Now, what does that message that send you? You know what it should send to you is that you matter that you are significant, that God has created you in his image. He's created you to be like him, and he's created you to represent him. You are made in the image of God. God didn't make any junk. You are not discounted. You're not flawed in the sense of you don't matter. You're not flawed in the sense of you want me to send you back and get you refurbished. I mean, you are made in the image of God. And for most of us in the room, that needs to bring value to our lives that God created me. In fact, Psalms 139 says, I fearfully and wonderfully knit you together in your mother's womb. I am a creation of almighty God, and I am an image bearer. And there should be some pride in that. You believe that this morning, church? He said, I've created them in my image and in my likeness. And then he says something very powerful that I want to touch on for just a second. He says, so God created a man in his own image, in the image of God who created them. He created them male and female. Now listen to me on this. Moses specifically does not use the words man and woman. Because man and woman are more generic terminology. He uses the, phrase, the, the words male and female. Now specifically, if you study this, specifically God is speaking to their sexuality. I've created males and I've created females. Now let me just kind of throw something out there at you. I want you to think about it for a moment. If you are biologically a male today, God created you that way. If you're biologically female, God created you that way. So with God, there is no gender identity crisis going on. He created you male and he created you female. It's the world of sin that we live into that complicates that stuff, right? It's the world of sin that we live into that begins to question, well, maybe, maybe I'm not this way. Maybe I have this biology, but I'm designed otherwise. No, creation said God made man male and what? Female. female. That's it. Male and female. Now, I'm not dogging anybody that's wrestling that. I'm just saying, if you're struggling with that, you need to go back to the heart of God of what God created and God's intention in that. Male and female. Also, this phrase, male and female, is also an expression of their need for one another. The male and the female's need for one another. 
God's intent was never male to be with male and female to be with female, but male needs female and female needs male. If we're going to fulfill the purpose that God has for us, we need each other. And so the second thing I want you to notice is that God created. He created you and I in the image of God in his likeness, both male and female. If you believe that, say amen this morning. Third thing I want you to notice is that God crowned his creation. God created it, then God crowned his creation. Now, this is maybe my favorite part of chapter 1. Verse 28 says this through 31. God blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens of every living creature that moves on the earth. And he says, and God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and that to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he had made and behold, it was not just good. It was what? Very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. Listen to me. Here's what we read here. Yes, God speaks. And I, I listen, I hope some of you were just hung up on that. That we serve a God that is so authoritative and so powerful that his words has the ability to shape this creation and to fill this creation. But also God creates. I hope some of you that maybe walked in today that you're struggling with your purpose in life and you're maybe your sense of identity, that you're reminded that you are an image bearer that you were created to be like God and to represent him in this world. And that should bring some value to your life. But also we need to know that God crowned his creation. And did you notice there how he crowned them? It says, and God blessed them. God blessed them. How did God crown his creation? How did he crown Adam and Eve? He did it by blessing them. And listen to the blessing he gives them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So God blesses them and says, I'm going to give you the ability to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, this phrase here, when God says, uh, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, is actually in the Hebrew, it's called the imperative phrase, which means typically it's a command or a mandate, as if God is telling Adam and Eve, listen, you got to populate this bad boy. Let's get to it. I mean, I want you to make sure that you're doing what I told you to do. Be fruitful and multiply. I command you. I mandate it. But this imperative doesn't mean that. This imperative here is almost a better picture of God's heart and his will versus a mandate and a command. So what's God saying? He's like, listen, Adam, here's what I want you to do. Quite frankly, I spoke this into existence, right? I could fill my own earth with my words if I wanted to, right? But I want you to partner with me. I want you to partner with me, and I want you to know my heart, that I want you to partner with me and help me fill this earth. So I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I'm not commanding it. I'm not mandating it. I'm just telling you, I want you to be my partner in this creative process. Now, how awesome is it that God would do that? I mean, if I'm God, I'm just like, I'm on a roll. Let's all go ahead and just keep creating. I'll just keep filling the earth. I mean, I'm on a roll. I've said it 10 times. I'll just keep saying it. I'll, I'll shape and I'll fill. But God doesn't do that. God comes to Adam and Eve and says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you the ability to partner with me to fill this earth. Now, let me say this. I think that we have the privilege of sharing in that same partnership. Hear me on this church. I think we have the same privilege. I have three boys. So I've had the privilege of partnering with the Lord and filling the earth. But you say, Doug, well, there's people that can't have kids. I know that. But let me say this to you. I think the greater partnership has nothing to do with the physical. I think the greatest partnership that we can have with the Lord is a spiritual partnership. 
right? How can we, we have the privilege and the ability and the partnership with the Lord to be fruitful and multiply his kingdom. How do we do that? By sharing the gospel. We, in Matthew chapter 28, because of what Christ did on the cross, he has commissioned us to go and make disciples. We have the privilege, forget the physical for a moment, we also have the privilege to be in this partnership where we get to make a difference in the kingdom of God by going and sharing the gospel so the kingdom of God can be fruitful and it can what? Multiply. See, I think we have the privilege of sharing in this partnership. Yes, some of us physically, but more importantly, all of us spiritually. And so God blesses them by saying, I'm giving you the ability to partner with me. But then God blesses them by giving them responsibilities. You hear what he said? He said, I want you to subdue the earth. You know what that means? It means I want you to help manage and rule over the earth. Now, I'm, I'm excited about having a conversation one day with Adam. Because in chapter 2, we find out that Adam named everything. And whatever man said it was, it was. So I'm, I'm just, I got a question. Like, hey, man, did you see like this thing come by and go, man, it's got some big hips, so I'm going to call it a hippopotamus. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm curious to what drove Adam to say the things he said. I, I just love, I'm just, that's more of a curious thing. But, but at the end of the day, he said, I want you, I know, that's crazy. I want you to manage my creation, and I want you to rule over my creation. In other words, I, you, know, you notice there that God has put Adam in the garden to work it. Why? Because he wants to make sure that the garden produces what it's got to produce to sustain life. He said, listen, not only am I going to give you the ability to partner with me, I'm going to give you responsibility. Listen, one of the first things God gave Adam and Eve was responsibility. I want you to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. I want you to help me manage my creation and rule over it. In other words, Adam and Eve, you're my caretakers. Are we God's caretakers of his creation? Sure we are. I mean, do you believe everything that we see and everything we have is because God allowed it to happen? And that God's created, I mean, did you ever, did you create the sunset? Did you create when the sun comes down and the sun rises? Did you create that? In fact, Job, when he was having his own little pity party, you remember what God told Job? Hey, where were you when I put the stars into place, right? I mean, God did those things, Right? And so at the end of the day, we have the responsibility to subdue and have dominion over the world. We are caretakers of God's creation. But I want you to notice something. God crowned his creation by giving them responsibility and, and really ability to fill the earth, but also responsibility to subdue the earth. And then God gave them another blessing. You ready? A privilege to enjoy the earth. A privilege to enjoy his creation. Look what he says back in verse 29. Stay with me for a moment. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruits. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to every, the creepiest things on the earth and everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. It was so. And God saw everything he had done and made and said it was very good. And then there was evening and morning. Here's what God says. Listen, I'm giving you the privilege of enjoying my creation. Think about that. Now, here's something I want you to write down. Creation is for our enjoyment and God's glory. We need to know that. That creation that we get to experience is for our enjoyment and God's glory. Do I have any deer hunters in the room? Come on, I, I'm, it's not confession time. You know I mean, you like the deer hunt, okay? Okay, I don't see some hands in the back, but I know there's some deer hunters back there. Okay, you know one reason, I love I loved deer hunting. Now, it, as the older I get, the less I care about really getting a deer, but you know what I love? At least in Missouri, I loved it. Of course, it was really cold. I love being in that tree stand and watching and hearing the, the, the stillness of the woods and seeing the sun begin to rise and seeing things just kind of come alive. 
You know what I'm talking about, guys? See, God created that for my enjoyment, but for his glory. Because when I see that, guess what I do? Going, God, you're awesome. God, you're incredible. Have you ever gone to the beach and watched the sunset and watched the waves come in or been to the beach and the sun has already set and the stars have come out and the moon and you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, it's incredible to see God's handiwork. Have you ever experienced that before? Why did he do that? It's for your enjoyment, but for his glory. Because when you see it, what should it motivate you to do? God, you're awesome. I love you. You're incredible. See, listen, God crowned his creation with ability, with responsibility, but with privilege. And here's the point. Humanity was given responsibility by God, but he was also given a privilege. And the same thing's true for you and I. Now, there's one more thing I want you to notice. And it's this. God speaks, God creates, God crowned. And here's the last thing. God rests. Look at me in chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them And on the seventh day, God had finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work he had done in creation. Listen, in the seventh day, here's what we see. Creation is complete. Creation is complete. God is finished. And listen, and God does what? He rests. Now hear me. God doesn't rest because he's tired. God doesn't rest out of exhaustion. He rests as an example to you and I. That's why God rested. He didn't rest because, whew, this wore me out. I spoke 10 times and all this happened. I kind of created man. It took me a little bit longer than I thought it would because that dust didn't want to stay together together. But, I, mean, I mean, God didn't, God, listen, God didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest because he was exhausted. He didn't rest because, man, he just had to have a, like a, a mental health day. I mean, God rested because he wanted you and I to see an example of what our life should look like. See, God on the seventh day, what did he do? He blessed it and made it holy. In other words, God took the seventh day and he set it aside. You know who he set it aside for? Us. For us. Now, I know that we are not under the law. And we know that in Exodus chapter 20, that one of the Ten Commandments is to keep the Sabbath day holy. And I know that we are not under that law. But I want you to understand something. Even though we are not obligated to keep the law, the law is still a picture of holiness. The law is still a picture of what a life honoring living to the Lord looks like. And so we need to remember, even though we're not under the law, we must not ignore our need for rest. Can I just tell you something? And we've got a lot of young staff like on our East Campus, and we talk about this a lot, is they don't rest well. Now, by rest, I don't mean sleep until one. That's not what I'm talking about. It might be nice sometimes, but that's not what I'm talking about. Rest is not the absence of busyness. It's the presence of something. It's the presence of a stillness of mind. See, like for me, Sunday's not a rest day, as you can probably imagine. It's not a rest day. Saturday is not really a rest day for me because I spend about four hours to five hours studying and memorizing my notes. You know what my rest day is? Friday. And on Friday, I don't do work. On Friday, I become mindless. It's pretty, it's easy for me, but it's really a fascinating thing to be able to do. I just become mindless and I just enjoy myself and I do absolutely nothing that's productive for the most part. I rest and I have time to just think about who God is and what God's done and to celebrate his goodness in my life. You, listen to me, some of you need to create margin in your life. Some of you don't have any margins. I'll ask you like, how are you doing? Are you busy? Oh man, I'm swamped. Problem. Because here's what most of you, I would say, is you don't have a time of rest. Well, Doug, I caught a cat nap yesterday. That's not rest. Listen, here's what I know about me that's probably true about you. 
when I don't take time to rest and to really focus in and renew my relationship with the Lord and really get on track and in rhythm with him again? Because listen, does the week knock you down? Sure it does. Does the week kind of, you know, kind of derail you sometimes? Sure it does. And I need that rest time to get back in rhythm with the Lord, to get back on track with the Lord. And if I don't, listen, it affects the next couple of weeks. Why? Because all of us were created to need what? Rest. Rest. Now, some of you need to leave here today and create some margin in your life. You need to have some breathing room in your schedule because you don't have a rest day. You don't have a day that you just chill out and focus on the Lord and just enjoy what God has done for you and what God wants to do through you. You need some margin in your life. So God rested as an example for us. Now, as we look at this passage, I want to close with this. I want to close with some lessons and truths that I think we need to hear today. Some things, as you know, God speaks, God created, you know, God does all these things. God created and God crowned and God rests. And there's some things I think we need to look at. There's some things I think we need to take away with us this morning. And here's the first one. I encourage you to write it down. First of all, if God spoke then, I think God still speaks. You think God still speaks this morning? Now, I'm not talking about audibly, but can I tell you how God speaks? Through his word. My Bible still tells me that this is the very breath of God. That God, through inspired writers, through the Holy Spirit, we have what we call the Bible. And I believe still that this is the very word of God. Do you believe that this morning? I believe I had one old preacher say, I believe it from the index to the mats. I mean, I believe that this is the word of God. And I believe God still speaks. You know why I believe he still speaks? Because I believe for us, his words still penetrate and still shape our lives. When I read this book, it's not because I'm trying to check something off a list. It's because I know that I need God's word in my life to shape my life, much like he shaped creation. I also need God's word in my life to fill me up, to fill me up with joy, and to fill me up with purpose, and to fill me up with truth, just like he filled up creation. But you know why else God still speaks to us? It's because all of us have some darkness going on in our heart. All of us have some disorder that goes on in our heart. All of us possibly have some deadness it's the mirrors of our heart. And his words still speak to all those things. And maybe this morning, you need God to speak to you. I would love to say that I've heard the audible voice of God, but I haven't. But I get to hear it every day when I read it. Every day. And it still speaks to me because it shapes my life, it fills my life, and it exposes the darkness, the disorder, and the deadness of my life, and it shows me how much he loves me. So God still speaks. The second thing I want you to write on truth we learn is that we are the creation of Almighty God and that your identity is found in who he says you are relationally in your sexuality, not what the world says about you. Your identity, listen, if you're trying to find your identity in your job, if you're trying to find your identity in your marriage, if you're trying to find your identity in your career path, if you're trying to find your identity in anything other than the finished work of Christ and what he says about you being accepted, loved, adopted, if you, if you try to find your identity in anything other than what God says about you, you're looking in the wrong place. And if there's one thing creation reminds me is that my identity relationally and even in my sexuality is defined by God and God alone. And you need to know that this morning. Let me give you a third truth I want you to write down. It's this, that we are image bearers. Let's say that together. We are image bearers. Now say it like you actually mean it. We are image bearers. Here's what that means. It means we are called to represent God and to live a life of obedience to him. We are called to represent Christ as we go and to live a life of obedience to him. 
Funny thing is we have some, um, I'm going to tell on Cameron. I don't know where Cameron's at, and I'm going to tell on Cameron. Um, we have these uh, car decals that we want to give away. And by the way, don't take one because they're terrible. We're going to get them remade. They don't work out very well. So don't take one. If you got one, throw it away. All right. So anyway, I was talking to our staff about, hey, I want all you guys to put one on your car. And Cameron's like, I probably shouldn't put one on my car. And he was telling me a story. Was it yesterday, Cameron? Yeah, he was driving in Oviedo, and he supposedly cut somebody off, and he cut them off bad enough, accidentally, you know, accidentally, that the person made a U-turn in a place they shouldn't have made a U-turn. They come all the way back to uh, the, the townhouse just to let him know how upset they were that he cut them off. And so jokingly, I said, you know, you remember, you're an image bearer, right? right? You need to remember that wherever you go, whatever you do, we represent who? Christ, and our attitudes, our actions, and our behavior, and we are called to live a life of obedience to him, right? Now, pick on Cameron, because Cameron's like the most awesome dude in the world as far as living for Christ, but somebody thought you were trying to cut him off and kill him, right? Okay, so, okay, anyway, so, so Cameron cannot have a decal on his car for sure, and maybe Rachel too, okay? So anyway, the point is, we all need to be reminded that we are image bearers called to represent Christ and obey him, and here's the fourth truth I want you to write down. We all need to understand and practice the discipline of rest. You need it. Now, if I ask you to raise your hand, I bet most of their hands would go up if I said, how many of you are spiritually, emotionally, and mentally exhausted this morning? A lot of hands would go up. You know why a lot of you would go up? Because life is doing that to you. But you know why a lot of other hands would go up? It's because you don't have a day of rest. There's never a day that you're just getting alone specifically with God and just worshiping and just celebrating and just focusing on getting your life in rhythm with him. So here's what I want to challenge you this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here's my challenge for us, is that for some of us, we would just allow God to speak to us this morning. That you would go back to his word and say, God, would you speak to me? Would you shape my life? Would you fill my heart? Would you point out the areas of darkness and disorder and deadness in my life? God, would you speak to me this morning? Some of you feel like you haven't heard from God in a long time. Would you just come in and say, Lord, I want you to speak to me this morning. Like you spoke in creation, would you speak to my heart through your word? And then some of you this morning, maybe you need to make a commitment to accept your identity and your responsibility that you have in Christ. That you are who he says you are. And that you have a responsibility to live a life that represents him everywhere you go. And then for some of you, here's what your commitment needs to be. I need to create some breathing room. I need some margin. I need to create a day of rest. So if believers in the room, listen to me. Which one of those commitments do you need to make? And if you need to make one, listen, this altar is going to be open if you want to come pray. And then I'm going to ask, uh, you know, Pat and Willie to be over here and one of our other couples, Kelly, I don't know where Jason's at, but if you guys can be over there. And if you guys are over there, if you just need prayer and you're going through some stuff, you're going through some junk in your life, if you just want prayer, man, they would love to pray with you. But if you want to come to the altar, make a real commitment, come and get on your face, say, Lord, I'm committing to let you speak to me because I really need to hear from you. God, I'm committing to, to identifying and leaning on how you identify me and the responsibilities you give me to represent you. And Lord, I, or I'm committing to a day of rest. I'm committing to create some margin in my life. Whatever commitment you need to make, would you do that? And then maybe there's somebody here today and you've never trusted Christ. Listen, you've never trusted him. You've never trusted him. And what you're looking for more than anything else is rest for your soul. Well, there's a beautiful picture in Genesis 2 and then the crucifixion of Christ. See, in Genesis 2, God finishes creation, and it is finished, and then he rests. When the cross of Christ, do you want one of the last things that Jesus said on the cross? 
It is what? Finished. The work of salvation is done. And the only place you can find rest for your soul is through a personal relationship with Jesus. And if you don't know Christ this morning and you need to do that, I would love, I would love, I'd be honored to talk to you about that. But however the Lord's leading you this morning, would you be faithful to do it? There's, 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 there's handout sheets on your pew there, on your seats there. If you want to take one and just write down your response this morning because you don't feel like coming forward, but you want me to pray for you, just take some moments. And listen, here's my prayers. It is every Sunday that we would take God's word and what we've learned and what God has spoken to us and that we, you and I, would be faithful to respond to it. So how does God want you to respond? Does he want you to come pray at this altar? Have people pray for you? Make a commitment right where you sat this morning? However God is moving, would you be faithful to respond to it? Let's all stand together. Everybody stand with me. Everybody stand, every head bowed and every eye closed. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I love you. I thank you for today. And I know we had a lot of length of things to go through. But God, I just hope we kind of hone into what you did in creation. You spoke the world into existence. You shaped your creation and you filled your creation with the power and the authority of your word. And God, we need to know that that same power and that same authority is in the word we have this morning. And you want to speak to us to shape our lives, to fill our lives, to expose that darkness, disorder, and deadness. But will we allow you to do it? And God, I thank you that you created humanity. You created us unlike any other aspect of creation in your image to represent you in this world. And I thank you, God, as I look at Adam and Eve, how you crowned them by by giving them the ability and the responsibility and the privilege to enjoy and to protect and to fill your creation. You allowed us to partner with you. And God, I pray we don't take that lightly. And God, I thank you that you ended creation not because you were tired, Not because you're exhausted, but you ended it by resting to show us that we need rest for our souls. We need rest mentally. We need rest emotionally. And yes, we need rest physically. If we're going to be all that you want us to be, we've got to make sure that we carve out moments every week to rest and to dine and to spend time with you. So God, I love you. And I pray as we go into this moment of invitation that if anybody needs to make one of those commitments, that they would just come to this altar. If they need prayer, they would go talk to Kelly or pray with Pat and Willie and somebody, that they would just go to them and say, would you just pray for me? But God, my ultimate prayer is it is every week that for all of us, that if you're speaking to us, that we would not leave this place unless we are faithful to respond. So God, would you just be with us this morning? Would you bless us? For it's in your precious In your wonderful son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. The altar's open.